Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 55, Heirs of a Mission. As we tie up the loose ends on the case against Robert and Christian, this week we heard Bob break down Robbie Hayward's police interview, as well as the trial testimony from Robert's ex-wife, Sarah Honecker. We wrapped up this week's main episode with an eye-opening present-day interview with Robert's cousin, Marty. As always, I'm joined by Bob and Janet, and after a quick break, we're going to get into your listener questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Uh, Zach said, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We got, uh, for those uh, that are on YouTube, we had a little bit of technical difficulties this morning uh, with Zoom, but I think everything is good to go now. So hopefully everything will go smoothly. Uh, before we get into our listener questions, uh, what did you guys think about the episode? Uh, it was eye-opening for sure. There was a lot of things that, especially your conversation with Marty, mm-hmm. that that I really, really appreciated to hear. Um, I, I definitely have some questions to ask, but I, I'd like to hear what Jana has to say before I kind of jump into some of these questions. Okay. Oh, I thought it was great. Um, Zach, I'm super curious about your questions. Yeah, as the... I would say it's very, very frequent that I text Bob like the second after I've listened to the episode on Sunday mornings. Um, And this was definitely one where like I couldn't wait to hit send on telling him what a great episode I thought it was. Uh, It covered some really interesting ground. Loved the interview with Marty. I thought that was so valuable and great. And he was he represented himself and the family, I think, superbly. Um, So but Zach, I'd love to hear your questions and we'll see if any of them are also in the listener well so i I guess the first one that i want to start off with is is a conversation about marty is you know he has a lot of recollections from that night and being that it's this far you know it's now present day it's it's way in the Mm -hmm. past how much weight can we put into that i mean that's for everybody to evaluate okay i mean it was it was uh it sounds like a significant event for him like in the not that necessarily that night but the next morning Mm -hmm. uh when you know he was there with robert when robert found out that something had happened. Uh, and then as you heard, he said, you know, Robert told him that, yeah, they said that I was supposed to be there with her, but I canceled. And, and it sounds like it was at, at Marty's urging that he should probably go talk to police and let him know that he ended up not going. In my opinion, it did feel very reliable, but I'm that's, 
I'm just a listener. I want to know what you yeah. feel as an investigator. How do you feel about the, the time that's passed and what he had to say? So, so I mean, do you feel that it was pretty reliable? I do, but that's um, that's a tricky question because, yeah, I, I do, but also it was a long time ago. So the, the thing that for me that stood out in it is that he doesn't remember anything being odd. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? So, so it's not so much that he, he remembers – the chapstick and remembers this and, you know, remembers Robert coming home, but just that, you know, he was there, he hung out with him that night and doesn't recall anything odd that's standing out to him. I also thought the fact that he kept referring back. I mean, he was, I always enjoy and appreciate when someone says, look, don't take this me word, like, don't take this word, take my word back then. Like whatever, you know, whatever access we do have to anything um, he did say, like, I've made other statements about this, like, earlier on. I know they weren't necessarily official statements with the police because no one was talking to him. But I like when people are, you know, comfortable saying, like, hey, look, a lot of time has passed. Like, I would I would defer to past conversations about this before I would say, like, right now I'm the most right I've ever been. And particularly with times and stuff, you know, I, th- I think I had clarified in the episode because he said that. And I was like, well, the police didn't talk to you. But he was like, you know. The next day, Robert was like, I think it was about this time. And Marty, you know, Marty texted me about some chapstick. And, I, you know, so he was, you know, they had that conversation. They remember it happening. And so I kind of got the impression he was talking about, you know, whatever Robert said were, were the times back then were probably what the times were. What he recalls is that he invited him to go paintballing, which I didn't know. Um, and then and then he came home and they played video games all night. Right. Was there anything else, Zach, that you wanted to bring up? Um, I mean, I we could go on and on. There's, there's probably a lot of things I could bring up. Um, one of the things that I just want you to clarify: How old was Robbie? That's a question I have. Uh, good question because the birthday that was transcribed from his interview, which of course was redacted for all of you, showed that he was 25. Okay, or 26. The report, unless unless I got my math wrong somewhere in there, um, but in the police report it says that he was 20. Okay. Because I I thought he was younger than that, and then in the the episode I believe you said twenty six, so I was just a little confused because I didn't know exactly where he was. I thought he was younger. Yeah. So go on the transcript. They say you know what's your birthday, and he gives it to them, and it's transcribed. And so I just did the quick math from that, and was like, okay, so he was twenty six at the time. Okay. Um, but then when I read the report, it has a different birthday, and um, it says in there that he's twenty years old. So I'm guessing twenty. Um, either I fudge something up with the with the math in the interview or it was just because it was hard to read in the tran- or hard to hear in the transcription so uh in the report it was more okay. clear well i think i can jump in with the rest of these as we go okay okay cool uh i'm gonna start with uh chris w who says did bob say detective michaels did not imply this was a homicide until the tail end of the first interview with robert just wanted to check on the implication there because wasn't the theory from minute one that this was a murder or that this was the first it was brought up to Robert. So going back to that very first interview right. where we know that towards the end, it seems to be when he says, what if it wasn't an accident? But could you expound on that? The police right away believed it was a homicide. The friend group didn't know that it was a homicide. You know, and, and we can say we're like, well, there's a body in a wheelbarrow. So obvious, but, but like we know what that looks like. They didn't. So when you read through that transcript, the conversation is the whole time that it was, you know, it was an old house. It was wood, I guess. That's what, you know, when him and Javier were talking, the the tone to me is that 
it was it was believed that it was an accident. And then you and then Michaels finally says, well, let's just say, what if this wasn't an accident and someone did this on purpose? Then we'll be. So, yeah, I didn't mean that the police didn't think it was a homicide. I meant that in that conversation, you know, I can't say Robert didn't think it was a homicide because certainly there's people out there that think that Robert is the one that committed it. I'm not one of those people. In that conversation, the first time that it was brought up that this was a homicide was not until I think it was like page 33. And we heard that with other friends, too, right? With Janelle and uh, th- that yep. conversation about, you know, people and, and us saying no one seems like they're reacting that strongly. Um, and, you know, people like Shiloh saying, like, A, you can be in shock and B, if they're being kind of vague about what's really going on and what it all means, then you can sort of live in a little bit of denial about whether or not it's it's happening to yeah. you and to the and, and remember the the word on the street what we see from all these teenagers right up front. I think even Javier was just that there was a fire up there. Like nobody was saying there was a murder; they were saying there was a fire. Is, is what was going around. Uh, I, I do want a real quick point before I lose it. Somebody here, uh, Kaylin, in the YouTube chat said that her brother is friends with Marty and she's met him a few times over the years. She says he is a legit genius and is usually very analytical. Uh, he would be very honest about what he's sure about. Just So that's just a little tidbit from somebody that actually knows him. And I'm sure you caught that he worked at an aerospace company. He's a he's a pretty sharp guy. Yeah, it seemed like yeah, for it. Sure, for sure. Janiah says, was it not standard to do gun residue testing on suspects' hands following shooting murders? Regardless of the hike, Robert was an ex-boyfriend. Why didn't they test his hands, check his slash Christian's cars for ash and damage from a fast drive down the hill, etc.? They should have checked his car, I think, if they if they legitimately thought. But I don't necessarily think they thought he was a suspect at that time. Um, as far as the gunshot residue, at the point where he was interviewed, I don't believe they knew anybody was shot yet. That's what I was thinking. Is I think at the that that early on, he, mm. they didn't realize that anybody was shot because that wasn't until the autopsies and the X rays that they found out that they had been shot. Sandy says, uh, "Sorry, an observation versus a question here." Wow, I just want to say how much I appreciated the interview with Marty. It was probably the most coherent, articulate, and surprisingly helpful interview of any we have listened to this season. I realize he's speaking with Bob and not being interviewed by the police, but he's straightforward about what he correctly identifies as facts. He doesn't embellish. He doesn't speculate, doesn't interject rumor. He just does a good job of calling out very specific memories juxtaposed against what he doesn't recall and doesn't try to fill in those blanks. Of One of the most obvious things about the wrongful conviction for me all along has been what would have been all of the post-crime behaviors of Robert and Christian starting that night and for all the following years to come. Absolutely nothing to indicate these two together committed the sanest crime. Yeah, I mean, I know it's just an observation, but 100% agree. I mean, you you have to either just say Marty's completely lying or you have to believe that they went and committed these horrible crimes and then went and played video games, hung out and crashed. You know what I mean? like it's, it's just really hard to connect those two things for me. Right. Jenna says, thanks so much for having Marty on. It was a wonderful interview. I mentioned this in a post, but I'm curious if Marty mentioned to you or if you could find out more details about Robert when he came home that night. And I saw some mention of this in the chat as well a little bit ago. Like, did he have paint on him because of the paintball or did he smell of gasoline? I think any paint or lack of gasoline smell would make it even more abundantly clear that he didn't do it. And Jamie had a similar comment in question. Uh, As far as the paintball goes, I don't think they were shooting the paintballs at each other. They were just like out. There's just like a bunch of junk out there behind the school still is um, that they were like they were testing out the broken gun and just shooting at it. So I don't think they were paintballing. Like they'd be covered in paint. Um, I, I, I'm going to shoot Marty a text right now. I was going to this morning, but he's way behind us in time and see. Um, I will say 
I'm 99% certain he did not smell gas or notice anything, but I don't know that I specifically asked him that question. Mm -hmm. I asked if there was anything out of the ordinary, um, but I'll shoot him a text right now. So hopefully before we're done recording this, if he gets back to me, it can confirm 100%. A little crazy if you got a text back that was like, now that you mention it, he did smell strongly of gasoline. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Nothing odd except for the gasoline smell. Yeah. but yeah, I, I'm I'm quite certain that that's not the case. But I did not specifically ask him that. Tracy says, why didn't the defense call Marty to testify? His testimony seems like it would have been crucial. He said the defense didn't call any witnesses. Is this poor defense a reason they could use uh, for a new trial as well as the cell phone evidence? No, I, I mean, they can try. But I think that um, the, the state will always argue ineffective or excuse me, will always argue strategy. You know, so if you claim it's ineffective assistance to counsel because they didn't put up alibi witnesses, then they'll argue that, well, that was a strategic decision, which is not. And it, and it was that that's what was was going on. I think it was a, a terrible decision. Um, but it's, I mean, you guys have heard the case now, right? Like we've broken down the case and some of the stuff we've we've figured out and have, have sussed out since then. But just in general, the case that was presented there, there's nothing there. I mean, and, and also we say there's not nothing. Okay, they they showed there was a business card out there that was connected to Christian, and then all this outside, st- you know, all this circumstantial stuff. Essentially, they spent the entire trial trying to prove that maybe they could have done it, right? And maybe they wanted to do it. it you know, it was all all smoke and mirrors. So what the defense decided, because you know, by our constitution, what is supposed to happen is they are innocent unless the state can prove they are guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The defense attorneys determined that they certainly did not do that, and so they didn't want to muddy the waters and 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 cloud things up for the jury. They thought they heard the case. That's all there is to it. Let's just stop it right there. I asked you that before we came in the studio today. I, I asked you. I'm like, what am I missing? Why? I I just I still do not understand what I'm. I feel like I'm missing something in this picture that has caused them to be guilty, or you know what I mean, caused people to think they're guilty and caused the jury to make them. To, to decide they're guilty in this. What am I missing? I just, I cannot, I can't see it. I just don't see it anymore. The cell phone evidence as it was, pre- as it was presented during the trial was cast in a very different light than the actual data as we have come to see and understand it. So that's part of it. I don't know. I, I think it's, this is like one of the, the flaws with our, our jury system is I think people really lose track of what innocent until proven guilty means. You know, I, I don't see how anybody could could go into deliberations after hearing that evidence and be certain, which is what it's I mean, beyond a reasonable doubt means you don't have any doubt based on any reason that they did this, which which means you have to be certain that they did this. There's no way the state with what they presented proved, but 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 that's what it says on paper. As opposed to the reality when they go in, it's like, well, they made a pretty convincing. I mean, look at the the arguments that we have uh, on on social media and stuff about the case, you know, that, you know, where people are like, well, yeah, but this Well, look at the, you know, he, they're out lighting these bonfires and look at all the guns he has. He's obsessed with guns and he has this holster and like that stuff that has convinced people. And I'm not hating on people that think that, but I mean, that's stuff that has convinced people that these guys did this, but when the re- the reality is none of that has anything, as I mentioned in the episode, like none of that is violence. There's no hi- history of violence. People are connecting the fact that they collect guns or go target shooting 
with being a violent person. That's not the case. Zach is not a violent person by any stretch of the imagination, but he had some of those same air quotes obsessions. And so it was like, to me, it was a lot of just this smoke and mirrors where they created that, you know, Bodmer's drive test, you know, that, that was, what did that show? First of all, we know now it really didn't show anything because they couldn't have gone that route and to, to do it. Uh, and it, by the way, it was still a minute late, but, but like at best, what that proved was they could have done it. They had to make that much effort to show that it was possible for them to commit the crime. And that's kind of how the whole trial went. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. And, you know, there's just a lot of conversations that swirls around behavior and, um, you know, like, like, like LeClaire was saying, he was like, well, all these people who commit violence, they, many of them never committed violence before so that you can't use that as a reason. We we're we've gotten very good with it, with the amount of information that we have out there just in life. We've gotten very good at molding stories to fit our narrative or or Mm -hmm. picking and choosing facts to help with things in a certain direction. And I think, you know, I'm always worried that I'm doing that because I feel like it's very easy to do and 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 very dangerous. And I, I really do honestly in my life try to not assume like, well, I heard a, I heard about someone who was a quote unquote gun nut before and they did shoot up a school, for example, to bring mm-hmm. up something horrible. And so that must mean that anybody who likes guns might be a person who would shoot up a school like to sort of extrapolate because we want to feel like we understand our world and we want to feel like there's things we can do to control it, things we can do to prevent, things we can do to understand. I think a lot of people who are dri- who are drawn to true crime feel a sense of wanting to solve a puzzle because it puts a sort of order and safety in things. And um, and so it's hard. It's hard because those kinds of stories can be very effective if they're told by people who are very compelling and if there's no alternative story to listen to. And so I hope more and more trial attorneys are understanding, like, I have to tell a story. I have to tell a story. It doesn't matter right. anymore what our law says because we are not behaving in that way anymore. We're just ignoring that and wanting and needing and needing the right story. That's so sad. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Teresa says, do you have the recording that Marty referenced in his interview? And this, of course, is the recording that would have been played at sentencing because Marty was not able to be heard because he wasn't called to testify. Yep. I uh, I haven't had a minute to do it, but I want to just take that and um add a little intro to it to explain what it is. And then I was going to put it on our YouTube channel, but I, I do have it. It's just like, it's like a three minute thing that was 
as he said, essentially saying what he said to uh, what what he said to me in that interview um, for for sentencing, just saying this is terrible. I should have been called. He was with me that night. I know that he didn't do it. And, you know, had the police talked to me at that time, I had, you know, I had phone records, the text messages, the receipts. I had all of that could have been verified back then. Yeah. TJ says when Marty says the family hired an attorney for the first defense team, what time frame slash years is he talking about? Is this the attorney he offered to talk to the investigators with or was that the public defender? Both, I think. So the first attorneys were in 2000. And we've talked a little bit about this before, but how the way the prosecution worked this case. And I don't think this part was was intentional, but it was it, it was financially devastating. Because, you know, they get arrested in 2014. They set a huge high bail. Um, so the family and friend, everybody everybody comes in together and comes up with the money to pay their bond to get them out. And then paid a lot of money for very good attorneys to start fighting the case. And they were doing it to the point where, like, even through pretrial, they had just, I mean, embarrassed the, the, the prosecution to the point where they just dropped the case. The, 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 as I mentioned before, the prosecutor was subpoenaed to come in before the judge to answer for the crap that they had done in the in this case and they just dropped the charges so that was the but they took every possible financial resource they had to do that and then a year and a half later they arrested them again and that like they don't you don't get that money back like it's gone and so now that it is so the second time they weren't able to it was like we can bail them out or we can get attorneys we can't afford, you know, they ended up not getting bailed out. They ended up keeping them in prison because they couldn't have, are in jail. They couldn't afford to to pay the bail. They couldn't afford the same attorney again. They end up with a public defender. Um, not that there's anything wrong with public defenders, but they didn't get the attorney they wanted. Right. Uh, that was already very familiar with the case and already been working on it for a couple of years. Um, they just couldn't afford to do that again the second time. Yeah. The amount of money that this family, these families and families like them go through. When you would like when you're already dealing with someone in prison who shouldn't be, then when you hear the numbers about the expenses of just trying to make the right thing happen, it's awful. I mean, it's I, I you kind of can't wrap your head around it. It's it's crazy. It's crazy, 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 crazy. And that's mm -hmm. another thing that's like it's like that's not a fair trial. That's not that's not fair. Just the right. the costs that most people can't absorb is not fair. Well, that's why our system is such a, an assembly line. Like, you know, we anybody that really looks at our criminal justice system and, and the, the rate of plea bargains compared to trials is it's in the 90%. You know, it's it, it, in the high 90%, I believe. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but you know, that's, that's not a good thing. I mean, people get put in this position where now certainly some of those people are guilty and they're pleading guilty to get a deal, which, you know, maybe that's not the best thing either, but you got to do something to – you know, stop the courts from being, you know, in trial all the, it would take 10 years to get to a trial. But there, there are also lots of innocent people that are like, look, you're facing life in prison or the death penalty for something you didn't do. It's going to cost you $200,000 to fight it, which if you don't have it, you just don't even have it. Uh, and, and, and you could still lose because we've seen how that can happen over and over again. Sure. And you could go to prison for the rest of your life. Or the or the prosecution has said you can go to prison for ten. You plead guilty, go to prison for ten years, and then you can get back to your life. And people say, "Oh, well, you know, innocent people don't take that's not don't take deals or won't plead guilty." That's not true. I mean, that's a oh, it's, not it's a hell of a position to be in. It's not true at all. Do you gamble with your whole life, or do you take the ten years or whatever yeah, it is? Yeah. 
So, Angela, I thought this was really interesting because I hadn't seen it come up before either. Angela uh, says, until this episode, I never questioned the quote unquote inaudible phrase until now. The transcripts you're reading from during an episode, are they transcribed by the T&J team or do they come in the case file that way? They come in the case file that way. Right. Yeah. Um, If the transcripts are case files with inaudible in it, why is that allowed? Shouldn't the person conducting the interview be made to clarify areas where it's hard to understand what was said? In this episode, Bob was able to post what Robbie said during the inaudible areas. Over the various seasons, I have heard inaudible many times, and I never gave it a second thought because I figured that was what was in the case file. I feel like if that's how the case file comes in, there's so much info that could be lost because it was never clarified. Yeah, that's true. And uh, there may be questions about this, but our listeners are pretty awesome. So I, I played that little snippet mm-hmm. uh, uh, that, I, that I couldn't understand what they were saying. And a lot of people weighed in on what they thought they said. Uh, at least two, if not three people said they heard him saying something about Monday Night Football, mm-hmm. which I couldn't hear at mm-hmm. all. And then I, I found the the report instead of the transcript, the report that Eichelt wrote about that interview. And sure enough, it says that he had told him that on Sunday afternoon, John called Robbie and invited him to come up to watch Monday Night Football with him. Um, so that I don't remember what the exact words he was using in that moment, but that is what was said. He was talking about th- that that was the plan. He was he wasn't supposed to be up there Sunday. He was supposed to come up Monday. And to get, refresh my memory. Where was the very first time we heard that Robbie was supposed to be there that weekend? Like, do, do we remember where and when and who from who we heard that? I think it came from Javier. I, I hmm. believe I believe that the I mean, it, the source was Becky, but I don't remember who. But I, I believe that. Maybe Javier mentioned that her brother was going to be there, but I don't remember that for sure. It could have, it, it would have had to have been Javier or Claire, I think that that mentioned that that her brother or her, I guess they're not even stepbrothers, stepbrother and sister, but that Robbie was going to be there. Yeah. Okay. Ethan, just sort of, um, I saw your post, your separate post, Ethan, as well. Uh, I just wanted to quickly address this, but Ethan is uh, definitely knows a ton about uh, football. And had a couple of questions just surrounding, like, why would these guys in particular care about the teams that were playing? Um, and also, did they even have that cable subscription so that they would have been able to watch Monday Night Football? Just some clarification around Robbie's interview. Yeah, I think when we looked at the, their finances, I, I think there was there was a TV. There, it was either cable. I think it was DirecTV or Dish Network. But they had, they had cable in one way or another. I think it was satellite TV they had. Uh, and, and Monday night football would not, uh, I, I don't know if those years it was when it was on ESPN. Zach might at the, at, No, at that point it was on normal television. So it'd be on one of the networks. Yeah. Um, cause I did see some people talking about that. I don't know. I'm not a big football. I don't watch a lot of football. Um, but yeah, it would, it, that would not have been a difficult game to access. Great. No, not at all. But, and, and also in the chats on Facebook, people were talking about like, why would they do that for Monday night? It was the Steelers and, and whoever was playing and. Why would they be fans of that? They, again, I wouldn't. I don't care to watch football. Um, but the people that I know that watch football watch football. They don't care what teams they are. Particularly Monday night football is like they watch it every Monday. No, oh, me and my youngest son watch football all day Sundays and and Monday night and mm-hmm. Thursday night. Doesn't matter who's doesn't playing. matter who's playing. Yeah. Kate asks, did the cops talk to any of Robbie's siblings? Uh, I don't. They talked to his mom, which we heard that interview. I don't think. I don't believe they talked to any of the siblings. I'm not positive about that, but I don't recall them 
never talking to uh, his two sisters. Okay. And they just had that one call with Cynthia. That's right. That's her name, right? Cynthia yeah. only had that mm-hmm. one call with Cynthia that we know of. I think. I think I'm not positive about that. Okay. Jennifer says, "I uh, if Christian lawyered up so quickly and had, or if Christian lawyered up quickly and had no interview that day, speaking of the day that they were both at the jail, uh, basically, or at the police station, basically, how was he brought into the room with Robert later on, legally speaking? A person pointed out that he had to submit DNA, but was he then kept at the station for hours until Robert's interview concluded? Did the police have a right to detain Christian after he lawyered up? Uh, as I'll always uh, point out, I'm not an attorney. Um, but my understanding is that you can hold someone in custody as a suspect for a period of time. Maybe it's 24 or 48 hours without charging them. And they were detained as suspects when they were executing the warrants to do the um, the DNA swabs and the fingerprints. So, uh, yeah, I think that Christian was just there the whole time. I mean, in his interview, like LeClaire comes in, talks to him. He says, I think I need a lawyer. And that's it. And, you know, he goes out and he does his his fingerprinting and stuff. But yeah, I think they had him all the time. As far as them putting in the same room, there's nothing saying they can't. As far as I know, there's nothing saying they can't do that. And I'm sure what they were hoping for was let's set him in there and then listen in and see if they if they confess to each other or something, which obviously they didn't do. OK. Teresa says it was any of the Friedley family interviewed. They are family members of Becky's. Uh, yeah, we've heard those. Unless I'm not understanding the question right. I mean, Ron was interviewed. Uh, Tiffany, Drew. Um, Tanya, they were yeah, all Teresa, at one point. Teresa, sorry, help me out. Remind me what you, which people you were wondering about that we didn't hear from, because I'm sure you have specific people in mind. Um, Megan says, did they interview Jackie? Uh, there, there's an interview with Jackie too at some point. I'll, and I'll, I'll get that up, but it wasn't. Um, I don't think it was nearly as detailed as what we heard from, uh, from Sarah. And, and essentially, I mean, Jackie story, same thing. Then when Christian got home, he had. You know, later that night, he went to her house and spent the night over there. Teresa says Ron's siblings. Oh, Ron's, Ron's siblings. siblings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the Fr- the Friedley family on Ron's side. Oh, no, not that. I don't think so. Because Ron did have a twin brother, I know. But I don't think anybody was, any of his siblings were interviewed, yeah. no. I mean, it seems like he, he took that lie detector and that was, nothing was ever done ever at all connected with Ron from that point forward. Right. Yeah. He did an interview, then he did a polygraph, and then that was it. Chris says, why was the testimony about Sarah's infidelity included without the same statement of struggling with protecting her privacy like Robert and Lois were given? Sure, it's public record, but Sarah deserved the same consideration. Was she consulted? No, and and it's just that it's it. One was a police interview that was very private and no one knew about. And that was the issue. Like, so I Robert obviously was with Sarah the, when all this stuff happened with Lois. No one knew about that interview. It had never been made public. And so I wanted to make sure that Lois was okay with, you know, that information it being put out. In in Sarah's case, this was this was trial testimony. It was reported on by the news. There was live tweets going on during the trial. It's complete public record. Anybody can access it. So it was a it was a different situation. Right. Schaefer, uh, shout out to you, longtime listener, first time contributing. Didn't John's boss mention a betting pool that they would do each year? And even the year he won, he didn't actually purchase the sports package. Yeah, but I, I'm i guessing they're thinking that you would need like an NFL package to watch. But that yeah, it, Monday Night Football would be on network, tel- like on network television. It's one of the few you could get. You can usually get like on Sunday, you'd be able to get your your in-district team, whatever you're under. Mm-hmm. And then Monday Night Football, even though it's a national broadcast, doesn't require national. I mean, it's a it's a national broadcast on network television. Right. 
So you wouldn't need this. You wouldn't need like the NFL red zone package or whatever. Right. Uh, and then Vesna, I just want to shout you out. Um, I, I don't know if this is a question because it because you end with a question, but it's a quote or if this is a statement. But Vesna is just pointing out Leclerc never answered yes or no when Robert asked, am I under arrest? Yeah, that's correct. He didn't. Um, he kind of danced around it, but then he did say that you are in custody. Right. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit more last week on the follow-up, because I also mm-hmm. was confused about the difference between we need you, you can't leave, but you're not under arrest, but here are your Miranda rights. Yeah, and it comes, and, and again, that comes down to a lawyer being able to answer, but there is a period of time where you can be detained as a suspect, and then there's like a click, there's a ticking clock, and I don't know how long that clock is, and, and, the, and the number I have in my mind came from TV, so I don't even want to say it. Um, but there, but there's, you know, at this point, you either have to charge them or release them. Got it. Uh, and so I have my last question from the Facebook post from Rachel. I'm going to I'm I'm going to shorten this a little bit and just make a general because I think probably what you're going to say, Bob, is we're sort of not there yet. But uh, mm-hmm. we always have someone uh, or some people wondering what they can do to help uh, the situation. If there's any action they can take currently as a listener to help advance this this um, cause. And uh, I don't know if you have an answer for that at the moment, but. Yeah, I, I, I don't right now. Um, you know, the, the the family hasn't asked anything of our audience, of our, you know, because there's there's sometimes we're, we're we'll, we'll need help and the family will need help for for, you know, attorney fees and things like that. Um, the families have not asked for for any of that right now. If, if they if they ever do, if they need help with um, some of that stuff, then then certainly I will I will put it out to our audience to see if. You guys are willing to contribute to that right now. The big thing is, is keep digging into these case files. Keep, you know, uh, keep, keep looking to see if we're missing anything and helping with the investigation. Like, like you all always do. Um, another thing that means a lot to all of our, all of our cases, the people that are, that are in prison is, you know, write to them, get on, you know, if, if you can write letters to Robert or Christian, just to encourage them and let them know that you're, you're here from them. I mean, that's, you know, prison's a dark is a is a dark, sad place, and connections to the outside world mean more than you think that it does. So, if you you know go through the the electronic system in California, or if you um, just send them through snail mail, I believe the addresses should be up on our website for that. If not, if not, they should have been for a year. But yeah, sending letters and stuff like maybe that we can be, make a, a dedicated Facebook post and just feature it for a second too, so that it just lives there for a little while as surrounding this follow up, so that people can just head to Facebook and check that sure. out too. Yeah, because I, I I know I've heard through like uh, Robert's wife and mom that um, there are lots of listeners that they've been in contact with regularly and how much they appreciate that and how much it means to them. Yeah, that is all I have. Can we talk about Sarah for just Sarah's testimony for just a what? second? Sure. Yeah, because no one I really assumed there would be some Yeah, me too. some talk, yeah. some talk about Sarah's testimony. Nope. I found it very interesting because because of the fact they're divorced. Mm-hmm. At this point she has no reason to hold back. She has no reason to lie. So that it seems very credible to me if she's saying that she doesn't feel that he's aggressive or doesn't feel that he's violent. Because at this point, why she's not? What does she have to hold back? If if she truly right. believes that, that she was ever threatened by him, or was ever worried, this is the point to say it, right? Yeah. Well, it, it, and it meant a lot to me when she said, 
when uh, Moore started to suggest, was there ever a time where you maybe gave him a reason to be violent or anything? And and she she kind of cuts him off and said, he doesn't have it in him. Mm-hmm. That's meaning. So you start to weigh the scales of evidence for and against them doing this. And you start figuring out, like, what stuff is speculation and, and circumstantial? I mean, all of it's circumstantial. But what stuff is just speculating on what you think? And what compare that to things people actual evidence and things people actually you know have actually said. So like I talked about this last week, like people are going on about the different ways Robert may have had a gun. But the reality is, show me what actual evidence do you have that they had access to a 40 caliber pistol? Mm-hmm. Is there any? There is none, right? So you have to like imagine a, a, a scenario where they could have. Uh, it's the same thing with this. Like we're looking at Here's pictures of them on Facebook with guns at a shooting range, you know, you know, and all these things. And so, of course, they're obsessed. But then when you talk to the people that actually knew them, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the ex-wife who was with him the night it happened was with or like together, like in a relationship with him the night it happened, lived with him for the next eight years. That's that's what we have on the record is her saying he is not capable of violence. And that's what I've heard from everybody. Like, that's what's on the record. So to counter that, you have to show me someone that says something different. Someone that shows me or somebody that, that has a, a direct connection that can say, yes, I saw this happen. Not, I don't know. Well, I heard Christian might be a white supremacist because, you know, you know, the, the, the things that we hear that people are saying that are their third and fourth party hearsay. Show me somewhere where someone says. Oh yeah, he's violent. He's a very violent person, and he does does this. And that's what you have to balance this stuff out uh, against. And to me, it was it was meaningful to hear the person who lived with him and knew him intimately better than ever. Because I think most of you would agree your your partner or spouse knows you better than anyone. Else. You know, you know, my wife knows me better than my parents, better than my brothers. Like you know, she's the mm-hmm. one that lives with me day in, day out. Sees me at my worst, sees me at my best. And that was Sarah for for Robert. Yeah. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And be- before we go, I do want to address um, Ed Logan, who is the guy that did the the analysis on the sector data way back that kind of spurred all, all of that. And then he kind of left the group and kind of disappeared for a while. Uh, rejoined our Facebook group and and made kind of a follow up post 
And I, I just want to acknowledge it. I don't, I don't, Ed and I do not agree on his assessment and he, obviously he doesn't agree, agree with mine. Uh, but I do want to acknowledge it that um, he made a long post and put up some of the maps about how he thinks that Robert and Christian could have been on highway 74. And his reasoning is when you look at one of the maps, not the dominant coverage, but that shows the coverage of the sectors it sh- or of the, of the different towers. It shows where Tower 705 has the coverage that I talked about that was south of the um, south of Tower 745 on Tower on Highway 74, uh, which that we see is Sector Two. It's not the sector that Robert was connected to. But then way down at the switchbacks, there's there's a couple little dots there that are colored in the same color as as that tower. Mm-hmm. Now, the map shows like that's dominant coverage in an area is Tower 523, which is one way over on the other side of the valley. But Ed's two things are are this, that those spots could be Sector 1 of 705. I disagree with that. It's pointed the wrong direction. The angles don't work. And we already see that Sector 2 is the one that covers 74, not Sector 1. Um, but it, it, But Ed believes that those could be Sector 1. And then the other issue he has, which which is an issue that I had mentioned when I did the episode, where I showed Christian making the 709 and 710 calls. If you even look at the map, I say that all we know is he connected to Tower 523, and Gillette's map don't show coverage for 523 in that spot. So, you know, his, his position is it couldn't have connected to 523 there. So it must have been some sequence up going down 74. So I just want to address that. And Ed and I have had conversation, but like very amicable discussions about this, about, about how we disagree. Just to show you my um, my my counter to that about the 523 is, and Wendell Mass, one of our listeners, uh, mentioned this in two, that Gillette testified that when he was doing his drive test and stuff, he was only asked to answer specific questions for the prosecution. He was only looking for what they considered relevant. So if you look at the spot where I showed where I believe that Robert and Christian were when Christian made those or received the one call, made the other one connected to 523, you'll see that he doesn't show Tower 523 having coverage there. But what you'll also show, see is he doesn't show Tower 705 having coverage there. He also doesn't show Tower 745 having – he doesn't show anything having coverage there. But then if you look at the CDMA map, the one that sh- the one that's just like full of colors all over the place that shows where Verizon had coverage everywhere, that area has coverage for sure. So what I think is they just he didn't he, I don't think he drove in that spot and checked to see if Tower 523 had coverage there because and I say that because if you're looking at two points on the map and this is tough to describe in audio and I know people are kind of sick, sick to death of hearing the, the sector data. You've got the tower, 523, in one location. And then you've got the spots on Highway 74 where, where it has some spotty coverage. And that's like an eight-mile stretch. If you draw a straight line, it's eight miles. Well, the place where I think that Christian and Robert were is only three miles from the tower in that same direction. So what we know is the tower certainly has the range to reach the place where I think that Robert and Christian were. Because it has the range to reach another five miles beyond that. And we know it certainly has the direction. It, it, has, it has service in that direction. Because, again, five miles beyond that, in that direction, it's covered on Highway 74. And then if you then go into, like, Google Earth and you can stretch a line 
from where the tower is to that spot, it'll show you there's a way that you can look at the geography of it and see like what's in the way. And you take that, you know, the height of the tower and where they're at. There's a clear line of sight from that spot to Tower 523. So I have no possible way to explain how 523 wouldn't have coverage in that spot. But to be fair and to be fair to Ed, Gillette's map doesn't show 523 having coverage in that spot. Um, what I, what I want to do on my next trip there is take there, there's apps like through Verizon where you can like stand in a spot and it'll show you what towers you're connected to. And I'm very certain that if you stand in that spot, you clearly can have a connection to tower 523. But those are the, the, the issues basically is his issue. And I did ask him like, is this, does this accurately reflect what you're saying? The two issues are we have, it doesn't show the 523 connects in the area where I said Robert and Christian were. And that the the little spots of coverage up in the switchbacks uh, with Tower 705, he believes could be uh, Sector 1. Essentially, he he's saying that it could be one or the other. And his big pushback is me saying that it is impossible for Robert and Christian to have been connected to 705 Sector 1 on Highway 74. He says it's not – he believes it's not accurate to say it's impossible. And and again, we don't agree, we don't agree on that. Because aside from the fact that that sector two is the one that shows dominant coverage in that direction and the angle, you know, it it would be like 110 degrees of beam width for sector two to hit that spot. It would be like 200 degrees of beam width for uh, sector one and then also the range of being a microcell. Of course, he does also doesn't care for the track software because of all the issues we talked about before. The track software shows a much tighter range. But all of Gillette's other maps where he shows sector one all show right in about that same range or close to it of what the tracks have. It shows that it's a microcell. It doesn't have a big reach and it doesn't. And the dominant coverage of 705 sector one doesn't touch 74. So I just, with all these things added together, it doesn't make any sense to me how it would have then way off to the side that far away, have these two little spots or three little spots where it could, it could connect. So I just wanted to address that guys. I want to be fair to Ed because that he did, um, come back and and counter and that's what he believes so you can do with that whatever you would like to okay yeah well in my case i spaced out on most of what you're saying i really apologize but it's so hard for me when i'm not looking at something you know the, what would be more comfortable for me uh and i'll be very honest about this is if if we if you said this is not possible like i'm not interpreting the facts I'm telling you that the facts are this isn't possible. If we can't say that, then we can't say that. And I totally respect that. And I respect Ed saying it. But I walked I did walk away from the cell phone evidence feeling like there just wasn't it just wasn't possible. And I and so it's a little it's a little confusing to still imagine facts as being interpretable in different ways, because then they don't feel like facts anymore. It feels like opinion. But yeah. And, and and there were people that chimed in were like, well, can you have Mike Dowd look at it, at it again? And this, th- what what Ed is is discussing is not have anything to do with what Mike did for us, which Mike explained to us how the connections work, why it would switch from one tower to the next one. This is simply a matter of which tower has connection where. So you'd have to. I still don't think it's possible, especially even when you start adding the sequence of calls, like the timing of them, like when they would hit. You know, Christian hits 523 twice, and then Robert hits 745, then 705. And ultimately, at the at the end of the day, the big issue for me is what the jury heard right. compared to reality. And what the jury heard 
was that the final connection that Robert's phone made, the last call where they had service, that final connection was on Tower 745, which the state was able to show Tower 745 is on Highway 74 headed that way. Right. When the reality is the final connection that any of the phones made was on 705 Sector 1, which is a tower that is north of that inter- north and east of that intersection in the valley pointed east southeast and that in the, in of itself there wasn't you know bulls the state's expert didn't say they were for sure driving down the highway here he was showing yes yeah, so they connected to 745 yep where's that tower it's here i could you know i need to see sector data to know any to know for sure but think of a jury you i mean how boring is everything i just said for the you know there's a few people that are like really into this that, that are that are hanging on i appreciate on them so much yeah most people are tuning all of this out so what they were looking at is here's a map they hit this tower then this tower then this tower that looks like they're headed to becky's right. they were never told that the last tower they hit was back in the valley facing to the east not south of the valley facing to the south got it and 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 I think that would be you know so if we take it down as, as Ed eloquently said and things like at this point it's got to be you know the defense is going to get us experts they're going to figure out how to write this into a habeas maybe there's raw data they can get from Gladiator hopefully that happens and that and that'll get settled out you know I don't I don't think we can go any further with it without seeing the the raw data from Gladiator for me I'm looking at you know I think it make when you have a jury that deliberates for ten days. And so that means there's there's holdouts that aren't that aren't sure or believe they're innocent mm-hmm. for uh, for that long before they make a decision. The fact that they heard the last tower they hit was down on 74. I think I, I think it, it for sure comes down to this was not a fair that trial matters. because they didn't get the accurate information. That matters. And by the way, I appreciate Ed pushing back on stuff. I think all the I, everything that needs to be tested needs to be tested. And I'm again, I'm not afraid of the truth. Like I I want all of those things tested and questioned and poked and mm-hmm. prodded because it's not going to do anyone any favors for somebody to, you know, stride into a room saying they're sure about something and then it turns out that 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 there is a different way that that could have been seen or whatever. I appreciate all of that. I don't want anyone to hold back from from testing and pushing and prodding and I know you don't either, Bob, and that's why you're taking the time to to talk about this and to point it out. So, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yep, and 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 I do want to thank Ed for that. I mean, he's put a ton of work yeah. in, into this. Again, again, we don't agree with the final conclusions, but he has throughout the process been very, very open and respectful in 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 backing up what he believes data represents in his own way. So I appreciate that. And then uh, you know, from here with that, as far as that stuff goes, we'll see what the we'll see, we'll see what happens in habeas. And other than that, unless you guys have something to add, what's on the docket for next week? Uh, for this week, we I am going over. So I had mentioned for those of you that are in the fan group, I found the the probable cause affidavit. A lot of people had asked, like, what did did Leclerc use to convince a judge to get that warrant in 2007 to search the houses and to get the DNA and to get the fingerprints? Uh, and I had mentioned last week, is like, well, I assume it was because, and this was a very stupid thing to say. I said, well, I assume it's because, you know, they had matched the DNA and the business card to Christian. And then after we got off the air, it was like the point of the one of the points of the warrant was to get his DNA. So clearly they didn't have it yet. Uh, so I got uh, Robert's wife, uh, B, actually helped me find the um, help me find the probable cause affidavit. 
was at my daughter's softball game and was like reading, you know, scrolling through it real quick on my phone and was just like, oh my goodness, it's long. There's a lot. And, and, and I started like, that's a lie. That's wow. wrong. That's a lie. And oh my God, that's a big deal. Uh, enough so that uh, this week, that's what I'm going to cover. I'm gonna, it, it's more than me just making a, a tweet about it uh-huh. or a post about it. Um, we need to go through and, and, and break it down. So that's what's going to be coming up this week. Sweet, Teresa. I know that was a special request from you as well. I saw it on Facebook. So you get your wish and we all will have a lot to listen to on Sunday. And with that, we'll uh, we'll let you guys go. We'll talk to you next week on the live. And, remember, and a lot of people keep asking, when can I get on the YouTube live so I can be part of this uh, recording live? It's Wednesdays, uh, usually at or around noon Eastern time is when we are on YouTube. If you go to the Truth and Justice YouTube channel and subscribe and hit the notifications, it'll let you know. But check that out if you want to participate in the chat live. And with that, that is it. We're going to end the recording here and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Thank you.
Thank you guys for not making me giggle that whole fucking time. There's no, there's nothing funny going on here. <laughs> That's usually when I can't handle it. Is when yeah. you guys when you guys start giggling and then I start giggling and then we're done. If I can be honest, the funny is still sucked out of the room after your assassination joke last week. It's hard to bring it. <laughs> I was really going to suck the funny out of the room Lord. if you let me talk about the article I brought up, but no one let me talk about it. So. Oh, this is going real slow, real slow. I don't care. Yeah. Oh, it looks terrible. I'm so upset that I thought that we were like on the cutting edge. <laughs> Of toast, tech, uh, uh, toast of trendiness here in Southwest. How, how did you think that? We are <laughs> 10 years behind everybody always. Always you're assume. Right. You're 100% like, right. Always. always assume you're behind. Uh, fuck you, Teresa. <laughs> she, 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 she said, Bob, have you ever tried garlic bread? <laughs> yes. We're... we're 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 up to date on our garlic breads here. Oh, We've been eating that me. stuff since 2015. Ooh, that's We've very had... funny. Mind you, three I thought it was. I've marks. never... <laughs> Have you ever tried garlic bread? <laughs> it's going to blow your Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.